Our New Testament scripture reading again comes from the gospel according to Luke, the 19th chapter, the 28th through the 40th verse. Luke 19, 28 through 40, hear ye the word of the Lord. When he had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass that he drew near Bethpage and Bethany and the mountain called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples saying, Go into the village opposite you, where as you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever set. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you loosing it? Thus you shall say to them, because the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went their way and found it just as he had said to them. But as they were loosening the coat, the owner of it said to them, why are you loosing the coat? And they said, the Lord has need of him. Then they brought him to Jesus, and they threw down their clothes on the colt, and they set Jesus on him. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. Then, as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd and said, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said unto them, I will tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. God's word for God's people and God's people said amen. I want to talk a little bit today about how to make a grand entrance how to make a grand entrance. We uh, are a, a, a people of, of uh, perception and prejudice. And by we, I mean us as humans. We make decisions based on our first impressions. There's an adage that says you never get a first chance to make a, uh, never get a second chance rather to make a first impression. Uh, I read a study uh, I think it was done by one of the psychology uh, departments, Uh, but they basically said that you make a decision about a person within the first 12 seconds of meeting them, whether they say anything or not, and then you spend the rest of that time sort of confirming your bias. So whatever you thought in the beginning is what you begin to think anyway, and then later on, those things uh, that you learn about them later only confirm what it is you already thought. Uh, They always say to go with your first mind when you think about different things. And what does your gut say? And there are are books out there written about instinct. All of these things are about making a first impression. And I was reading a Psychology Today article that talked about how to make a grand entrance. And it gave a handful of tips about making it. And it says if you want to make a grand entrance, you need to assess the situation before you make your entrance. Recalling that the appropriateness of a performer's entrance was a key factor in audience impressions. Decide for yourself how grand your entrance should be. I'm reminded of when I used to produce plays. And when I used to produce plays, the first scene of the play was supposed to be the, 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 the pace setter. It was how you got everything going. And if your first scene was bad, people would not pay attention for the rest of the play. 
Uh, but it says, and when how you make an, a, a grand entrance, one of the things it says is to, number one, don't be fashionably late. It might strike you as good impression. Uh, it might strike you as a good impression management policy to be the last person into a room. But in fact, if you're consistently late, you'll only get a reputation as someone who's unreliable. Uh, it says to show the appropriate emotions for the situation. That's related to part one, the same tip. But also, it pertains to the emotional atmosphere, not, not, the, uh, not just the uh, formality of the gathering or whatever it is. Pause briefly to gra- gather your thoughts. Even if you've tried your hardest not to be late, circumstances tend, won't cooperate. And when you're just entering, take a second or two to gather yourself together if you're there. Uh, look around at all the people in the room. There was a study that they did about two uh, success, there were two studies, rather, that they looked at what successful violinists did in this study. And one of the things that they did is they would make eye contact with the audience as they were playing and even sometimes nod at them and let them know that they were appreciative of them. Uh, determine, uh, if you can't make a grand entrance, you need to determine why you're not the center of attention. There are many situations that you enter in which you're only one of the, whether you're one of the crowd, but accept the fact that you're not the biggest cheese. Uh, make your entrance dignified, but not in a grandois matter. Uh, another one was to look as if you are glad to be there. You know, that's a big problem I've learned in certain churches. Not this church in particular, but I'm just saying certain churches. But when you people come to visit churches, if everybody looks like they don't want to be there, If everybody looks like they don't want to be there, people aren't really willing to come back. Why are they so mad? Uh, the Reverend Dr. T. Garrett Benjamin Jr., the church that I grew up in in Light of the World Christian Church, often said, if there is joy in your heart, you ought not keep that secret from your face. Uh, all right. Look as if you are glad to be there. Then also, don't despair if you've blown your opening move. You might flub, you might trip over something, you might stumble, you might walk in with a piece of toilet paper still attached to the bottom of your shoe. These things happen when you try to make your grand entrance. But even if you wish the flub hadn't occurred, you have to acknowledge it did. Just don't go overboard. You don't need to go on and on blaming what happened or why it happened talking about what a clutch you are or how clumsy you are or continuing to make references as you continue to go on. Just smile, brush it off, and then focus on the event. Those are some of the tips that Psychology Today had offered in terms of how to make a grand entrance. Well, I will submit to you that Jesus made the most grand entrance of all. Uh, One of my favorite subjects Uh, is that of what they call the messianic claimants. I deal with a lot of people who don't necessarily believe in Jesus, and that's okay. I don't spend every day around people who think just like me. And so sometimes we banter and debate about certain things. And one of the things that these people who don't believe in Jesus always try to blow somebody's mind about is that Jesus was not the only person to claim to be the Messiah or somebody to claim that that person was the Messiah. There are several. 
And they go to all of these different connections and comparisons and different people, and they act like, oh, oh, your pastor lying to you, your mind, I'm finna make you drop your faith and blow your mind about all of these things. But I'm here to tell you that Jesus on Palm Sunday was not the first person to come into Jerusalem and people lay down palm branches and say, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. Jesus was not the first person that somebody would claim would be born of a virgin. Jesus was not the first person that they would claim to, uh, to, be die, to, to be killed and rise again from the dead. There were other people out there that claimed these things, and there were other people out there not only in these uh, uh, pagan religions, but in the Hebrews. They thought that there were some Hebrews out there that they thought could have been the Messiah. But I submit to you that they did not do it as well as Jesus. When I was in chemistry class in high school, I had a group assignment that we would do during the lab time. And both me and my partner went to work and we collaborated to get the answer. And I showed a few more steps than my partner did in the work. And we all turned in our answer and he got a B plus on his work and I got an A. So he immediately went back up to the teacher with my paper and his paper and said, teacher, why is it that we did the same work together and I got a B plus and he got an A? And he said, well, when two people do the same dance together, sometimes one of them dances better than the other. And he, Johnny, danced a little bit better by showing a little bit of work. And so when I think about all of these messianic claimants out there, some of the people that were out there trying to do the same thing and claim that they were able to do what Jesus did, yes, you doing the same dance. But my Jesus danced it a lot better. So they come up with this Judas, the son of Hezekiah, and the Simon of Perea, and, and the Throngus, the shepherd, and Judas, the Galilean, and even John the Baptist. People thought that these people were, were uh, uh, Messianic claimants. And one of my favorites is Judas Maccabeus, because he actually rode in on town on a donkey. And they actually said, Hosanna, Hosanna, because he was able to defeat the Roman army for about a week militarily. And that's what the people were looking for when they wanted a Messiah. They wanted somebody to beat them beat the Roman soldiers and get them out of oppression. And so they said, Hosanna, 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 and then the Romans called reinforcements, and they weren't saying Hosanna, Hosanna anymore. But all these people, they, they, they did what they did, and they tried to dance this dance, but Jesus danced it a little better. He made the most grand entrance of all. And that is what we are here today to celebrate. We don't celebrate Judas the Galilean. We don't celebrate uh, a, a Throngus. We don't celebrate Simon of Perea. They, they tried, but they didn't make it. Ah, there were many Messianic claimants, but Jesus made the best entrance of all. Why? Because he was fulfilling the prophecy. And in order to make this grand entrance, there was preparation. Let the church say preparation. Preparation, preparation is important. Yeah. Proper preparation prevents poor performance. Jesus prepared to make his entrance. 
And he instructed in verses 19, uh, chapter 19, verses 28 and 29, he instructed two disciples. And I like that they didn't name which disciples he instructed to go do there because anonymity in the text allows for inclusivity in my life. So whenever I see something in the Bible and they don't say a name, they just say the man, the woman, the disciple, I can imagine myself in that position. I can put myself in the text. Yes, it's nice to imagine being David slaying Goliath and all of those other stories. It's nice to imagine being Moses and it's nice to imagine being Noah before the flood comes. But those are everybody identifies with the hero. I find it I find it rewarding just as well, not only to identify with the hero, but to identify with the unknown. And so it allows me to be there and imagine that Jesus is talking to me. And so these men who were told to do what they needed to do got a mission. Their orders were to go fetch a colt from nearby. Some translations say colt, some translations say donkey, but it's the same thing. And I'm going to come back to the whole colt donkey thing in a moment, but that's what they tell them. That is the equivalent of a car. And he says to go take this colt that has never been written before, and if anybody asks you a question, you say the Lord needs it. I would not immediately suggest anybody go down the street to the nearest car dealership and grab a car that hasn't been written before. And when they ask, why are you taking that car? It's because the Lord needs it. I would not suggest that we need to use a little bit more practicality. But that is the kind of faith that these disciples experienced. That's the kind of faith that they exhibited. They were willing to walk up to somebody because they knew God had told, Jesus had told them where this cult was going to be. And they went. And lo and behold, the cult was actually there and had never been ridden before. Everything Jesus had done up to this point was fulfilling prophecy. There was prophecy when this, the Hebrew people were looking for a savior where he was supposed to be born, where the Savior was supposed to be from, what the Savior was supposed to be doing. You know, they say that in the New Testament, Jesus is revealed, but in the Old Testament, Jesus is concealed. So you find all of these prophets telling you that he's going to be from this town. He's going to be from this tribe. He's going to be from this city. He's going to do this. He's going to do that. He's going to heal the sick and raise the dead and open up the blinded eyes and set the captives free and declare the acceptable year of the Lord. He did all of that. That was his preparation for coming to Jerusalem. So everything he did, he fulfilled. And he picked, he told them to pick a young donkey. Uh, going back to making a grand entrance every now and then during those times, kings and generals would make a grand entrance through the city. Kings rode on donkeys or horses during that time, but there was a reason for one of those. And, 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 and we talk about the whole, the cult versus whether, because cult can mean a young horse, and it can also mean a young donkey. Uh, but something to understand about horses versus donkey is that the kings rode horses when they were going to war. The kings rode donkeys when it was peacetime. So when Jesus was riding this donkey, 
into Jerusalem and the people were declaring, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He was bringing in peace. He was bringing in a peace that passes all understanding. He was bringing in a peace into their lives. He was bringing in a peace because all of the people that were following him, the disciples that had seen him open up blinded eyes, heal the sick, raise the dead, call Lazarus to come forth. They had seen that and he's bringing in peace. He wasn't just hanging around an entourage of, of, of super successful people. These were tax collectors and sinners and people that most people would not be associated with. And he had made their lives whole. So I can imagine when all of that is coming to mind as they walk into Jerusalem, knowing everything that Jesus had done for them, they had to let out a praise. Praise is showing gratitude for everything that God has done for you. Praise is showing gratitude for everything that God will do for you. So they let out this praise because he's bringing this peace. Not only that, but the donkey had never been rolled before. That made it fit for a king. They were not buying a used car on its last. And nothing wrong with buying a used car. I have no problem with that. I'll drive a car till the wheels fall off. But a car that has never been driven before or a donkey that has never been ridden before is fit for a king. And so he's making this declaration of peace. He's bringing peace to them. And he's fulfilling the prophecy. If you go look when you get home at Zechariah 9, 9 through 10, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation. Lowly, riding a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Let me bring that back again. This is Zechariah. Long before Jesus was born, God gave him the vision of how the king was going to come here. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just. And having salvation lowly and riding a donkey. Not only is he bringing peace, but he's bringing humility. The humbleness. Jesus could have came in with throngs of angels coming around him. Military takeover style, but he was humble. Goes on later to say that they will, in, in verse 10, it will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. The battle bow shall be cut off. He shall speak peace. To the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea, and from river to river, and from river to the ends of the earth. Jesus is coming, and he's coming to bring peace and speak to the nations and take over everything. From sea to sea. And from the river to the ends of the earth. So there is nowhere on this earth that he is not king. There is nowhere on this earth. There's nowhere in the water. Because they mention the water and they say that the earth is like 75% water. So the whole thing is his. The Bible says that the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. All the things that are in it. So he has control over everything. So when he makes this triumphant entry, he's walking in to what he already owns. 
When you walk into your own house, there's no, re- no reason to tell everybody this is my house. They'll tell it for you. And so he's making this triumphant entry to let everybody know he's here. And if you don't believe Zechariah, we'll take it even further. Let's go back to Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, then Jacob. Jacob, before he died in Genesis 49, uh, verses 8 through 11, gathered all of his children around to prophesy to them, to speak well to them. And it said all the way in Genesis, he told Judah, Judah, you are he whom your brothers shall praise. Your hand shall be on the neck of your enemies. Your father's children shall bow down before you. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He bows down. He lies down as a lion. And as a lion, who shall rise him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes. And to him shall be the obedience of the people. Binding his donkey to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine and he washed his garment in wine and his clothes in the blood of grapes here you have Jacob who became Israel predicting that his son Judah the scepter would never leave and he would be a lion and he would rule over all the people and when you look at the lineage of Jesus. And you go down through those 42 generations, Jesus came from the tribe of Judah. That's why the Bible calls him the lion of the tribe of Judah. So here he is making this triumphant entry and he's able to make this grand entrance because he's fulfilling the prophecy. And we could go all the way through the Old Testament and all these different places where they predict that the Savior was coming and everything that they predicted, Jesus did. Preparation. And that's preparation. And because of this preparation, he took the men, and that's any one of us, and sent them on a mission. Had to exhibit great faith. And they were obedient. Verses 32 through 34 tell us very clearly they went and got the cult that Jesus had asked for. They went and did everything that he said. They did exactly as they were instructed. <clears throat> the disciples may have remembered Zechariah and what Zechariah said about going to get a donkey. The, the, the prophets may have remembered about what Jacob said about the donkey and the lion of the tribe of Judah, but they may not have. The point is, is that Jesus told them to do something, and they did it. Oh, how much more power we would have in our lives if we would just listen to what the Word of God said and did it. Because that's another name for Jesus, the Word of God. We can go to John, and in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God, right? And then you go down to uh, verse 14 in John 1, it will say, and the Word became flesh. And dwelt among us. So here you have the disciples <clears throat> listening to what the word of God said and then doing what the word of God said. That's part of this triumphant entry. Ah, and uh, it, it's funny, we, life is just so much easier if we do what the word of God says. 
I love my job. <clears throat> I love both my jobs. My job as pastor of this wonderful church, but I also love my job as a service engineer uh, working, uh, fixing audiovisual equipment. The funny thing about my job is lately I've been getting a lot of accolades and awards. I'm getting certifications. I'm getting people writing emails to people talking about how much they love Johnny and how much Johnny got us into this, out of a bind in a quick situation. And, you know, I, I even work with a separate company out there because that one company in my building handles level one support and then my company handles level two support. So when they can't fix it, they call Johnny to come in and fix it because that's my building and that's my primary responsibility. But everybody's like, oh, Johnny's great. And I try not to get the big head about it because it's only a job and jobs come and go and one day they'll love me and the next day they won't like me kind of like they say one day they say Hosanna and the next day they say crucify him so I don't get the big head about it but I will say this about the quote-unquote accolades and me being one of the best all I'm doing on the job is reading the instructions Yes, there is some complicated multi-million dollar audio-visual equipment in these conference rooms. And yes, sometimes people try to touch a button and it doesn't do what they want and something doesn't happen and then I come in and fix it. But the only reason I'm able to fix it is because I know that that piece of equipment came with some instructions. And all I do when I'm not in the room fixing something is pull up the instructions and read over them. And so that way I know how to do certain things by reading the instructions. Nine times out of ten, the answer is in the instructions. And the, the beauty of my job is when that tenth time comes and the answer isn't in the instructions, when we figure it out, we write it down so that everybody else can read it next time. So those who went before me have written things down and I'm able to read those instructions and be able to do the job effectively. Well, those who have went before us in life were able to write some things down so that we could read the instructions for clarity and be able to do our jobs effectively. So there's preparation. And then we go from preparation to celebration. Let the church say celebration. The crowds... They prepare the path. They spread their cloaks on the ground. They give of what they have. Again, this is not an entourage of dignitaries. This is not a military procession. These are the people that Jesus has helped along the way. The multitude. And they have started following this man because he made them whole. Those who were blinded and now see. Those who were leopards and now hear. Those who were dead and now living again resuscitated <clears throat> tax collectors Samaritans harlots people who were healed of demons former crippled people they're following Jesus because they had a heart full of gratitude for what Jesus had done for them he shared in their burdens and he made them whole again. And so that's what they were thinking about as I would imagine as they go through there and think about all the things that they've done if I look back over my life all I can say is if it had not been for the Lord on my side, if I was left on to my own devices, if I was left to my own decisions, I'd be dead by now. 
but the Lord saw fit to protect me and watch over me and have people praying for me, people covering me, people kneeling and praying and interceding for me. So when I think about all of that, I got to praise him. I got to tell him how good he is. I got to tell him I love him. I got to thank him for everything that he's done. So the crowds are doing that. They're proclaiming his praise. And just about, again, keeping it in the text, fulfilling the scripture. Because the same thing they're saying in Luke chapter 19, they were saying in Luke 2. Uh, Luke 2 says, glory in 14, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace and goodwill towards men. That's what they said when he was born. And they were saying that when he was born, and now they're saying that when he comes into Jerusalem. Glory to God in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Bless him. Worship him. Praise him. That's what we're put on this earth to do. We are created to worship. So we ought to get to work. And so we have celebration. And with celebration, there's always some hater in the room. Somebody that doesn't appreciate what's going on. Really just upset with what's not going on in their life, but they can't fix what's going on in their life, so they got to say something bad about somebody else. So there's a rebuke from the Pharisees. They tell him to rebuke his followers for saying something like that. And his reply is, is if they kept quiet, the rocks would cry out. If we don't have sense enough to praise God, God can use anybody he wants all the people that he chose in the bible to do something weren't always the best and the brightest but he spoke through them whether it be somebody stuttering or somebody that or, or even a donkey what he did with Balaam God will use whomever he chooses praise is the natural response to the gratitude for all God has done for us It's the natural response to all that God will do for us. The Bible says that God inhabits the praises of his people. So part of our existence is to worship him. And if ever you want to experience God, if you want God to be there with you, just praise him. And if we don't do it, we can be replaced. There's nothing like understanding that you're replaceable to make you do something else. People fight hard for their starting positions on sports teams because they don't want to be on the bench. People fight hard for their jobs because they don't want to be replaced. I don't want any stones crying out for me. I respect all of God's creation, but if my job is to praise him, I'm going to praise him as much as I can. God, I love you. God, I need you. God, I can't do without you. God, thank you for sending your son to die for me. God, thank you for keeping me. I don't want rocks talking for me. I can praise him for myself. So that's what we're supposed to do. And Jesus is coming to bring peace on this triumphant entry. And Jesus is coming to bring peace, not a military peace, as some people were expecting during that time. Jesus is not dealing with the Roman political complex. 
he's doing something much more. You see empires come and go. Presidents come and go. Kings come and go. Dynasties come and go. Financial systems come and go. Everything is temporary compared to the Lord. All of the people are grass compared to the Lord. And you know what? No matter how high grass grows, eventually it gets cut down. But the word of God remains forever. Jesus is coming here to deal with something long term. Jesus is dealing with the impossible and the inevitable. Jesus is coming to bring peace and not free people from the Roman government. Jesus is coming to bring peace and free them from sin and death. Jesus is going to slay the sin and death. And not with the power of thousands of military soldiers, but the power of one. And I I, I like that he made this grand entrance. And I like that he's dancing a little bit better because something that I, uh, when I mentioned at the beginning, generals and kings coming in on donkeys to declare peace after just getting off of war and, and having this triumphant entry and everything else, they would march to the temple. It was a parade of sorts to the temple. And what was supposed to happen after the parade to the temple was a sacrifice. They would sit there and they would give a sacrifice to celebrate what they had done to declare this peace. And so the way they did their dance was all right. But Jesus did a little bit of a better dance. The Romans did all of this their time and they would have their sacrifice. But Jesus came in on his triumphant entry and gave the best sacrifice at all. He sacrificed his life. He's on his way. He's going his way through the temple so that we can have access to God. And he's going to do the dance a little better. He's going to take the beatings. He's going to take the mockings. He's going to take the cat of nine tails. He's going to take that and he's going to be the best sacrifice at all. He's going to be the sacrifice that's going to tear the veil on the temple. He's going to be the sacrifice that'll block us from having to experience death, hell, and the grave. He's going to have a sacrifice that's going to give us access to heaven. He's going to dance a whole lot better. And his dance is going to last forever. There'll be no sin and shame. There'll be no death, hell, and the grave. He'll be able to give us access to heaven because he's going to Calvary. He's going to sacrifice his life for us. The perfect sacrifice, the ransom for our lives. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit, the doors of the church are open and we invite you to come.